Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP cast from me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Just a reminder, if you want a regular digest of exclusive news and insights from around British basketball, direct into your email inbox. Subscribe to our newsletter at the post-up. You can head to mvp247.com. Go to the newsletter page and subscribe today. Now, it's our last edition of the podcast in 2021, and our guest is one of the most reliable bigs in the BBL. He's an England international, an aspiring coach, and he's got lots of big ideas as well off the court he is the bristol flyers center shane walker shane welcome to the mvp cast thanks mark appreciate that introduction as well and we always hear those introductions on tv and stuff and it makes you feel good when you get one yourself so i appreciate that christmas is coming what's on santa's shopping list this year for you shopping list yeah uh, wish list well, anyone that knows me really knows that i'm not really a big celebrator of Christmas. I enjoy the holiday season um, and being able to spend time with loved ones and and people coming and visit and stuff and visiting other people. But the whole Christmas narrative is I've never really celebrated it. So I'm more try to bless people with my presence or the knowledge that I can give them. You we know? should say we're recording this right after Shane's come straight from the Flowers Christmas lunch at Nando's. So what does that say? <laughs> anything summed up I mean, christmas more it's christmas at nando's i mean it's very generic it's very british so <laughs> you just have to like i said it's to each his own you just have to enjoy it and just take it for what it is but again it's more about the the, the people that you spend it with right so getting to spend that that holiday and before we break up with the with my teammates and everything is just it's just nice you know enjoy those laughs First year at Bristol, and you know, you're not just playing now, but you're coaching as well. What's explain, you know, being on the SGS Basketball Academy coaching stuff? What's what's how has that changed things, and what exactly are you doing? Um, well, I really feel like an adult now. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I definitely really feel like an adult now with 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 the admin and the day to day of actually coaching these kids. You know what I mean? Coming up with a practice plan. Um, having an idea where you want to get your team to um, and then just interacting them on a on a casual level as well and just helping them grow off the court as well. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, plus play on the playing side, which I always thought was a lot. You know, I always thought, oh, well, you guys are going to work every day but and you think I'm not doing anything, but those hours of pounding on your body I always thought were a lot, so... To, to couple them together, it, it has been a struggle and it has been something that I've had to adjust to. But I think it's come to a period now where I've actually found my stride and, and it's becoming something that's very normal to me and very real. So I'm enjoying it. How did you prepare for this? Or how have you, I guess, formally looked at this process? Because I, I remember once I spoke to an NBA head coach who just came mm-hmm. straight out of play. And I said to him, you know, what's what's been your education process, what you've been learning? And he looked at me blankly as if, you know, why on earth would I learn this stuff? No surprise. It didn't last very long as a head coach in the NBA. But, it, you know, it's a very different trade being a player and coach. Obviously, you take the experiences of everyone you've played for and you, you remember things. But how did you kind of go about this process of learning a new trade? Um, For me, I think it's, 
about being open to learning. You know what I mean? And coming at it with that approach of, okay, this is a new tray. I don't know everything or know anything. Um, let me be open to learning anything. Let me be open to not necessarily criticism, but if someone has some way that I can improve this or improve that, let me be open to that rather than thinking that I know everything or, or thinking that I don't have to learn everything because I've, I've studied under this coach or I played under this coach, you know what I mean? And with the help of, of Andreas and Chris Bourne and, and, and coaches like that, um, it's been very comforting, very easy to, to, to be in that role. Did you... When you when you thought about this opportunity, when you know the, the sales pitch comes to go to Bristol, was it mm-hmm. always with was the was the coaching part always tied into this, or was there something that you put forward? Um, it was something that I actually put forward. Um, I had heard about the position, and I, it was something that I thought I wanted to do. I was like, I definitely want to do something like that. I want to be able to make an impact, not necessarily just in basketball. Um, but as a mentor to some of these kids, and I've seen the impact that I've had on a day-to-day basis and reputation that certain kids have had. And I've, I, I personally have never had those experiences with these kids, and they've always shown me a lot of respect. And, you know, people around them have said, oh, these, these kids really improved since you've been around. So that, for me, is a is a major aspect to it as well, rather than just the coaching. Um, but, yeah. I mean, you're 34 now. Is, is this the next phase? I mean, is this setting yourself up effectively for a coaching career? Um, I'd like to think so. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's something that I've just started. Um, it's something that I want to see through and see how far I can get and see what kind of impact I can have on people's lives. Um, and even parents too, like even parents have come up to me and said, I really enjoyed the way that you've coached my kid or, um, are you going to be coaching next year because I want to get my kids signed up and this, that, the other. So just even that, you know, it means a lot to me. You know what I mean? Um, wins and losses, again, that that is part of the process. But for me, it's, again, I'm all, I'm big on community. Anyone that knows me, I'm big on community. We can, we can discuss some of those things later in, uh, in the show. But for me, I'm, I just like, I enjoy giving, you know, I'm a generous person. Well, I mean, you've mentioned making a difference to kids a few times there. I mean, where does that come from? I mean, is there, is, is there something that sparked up that, that passion in, in you and in the way you go about things? I think it comes from a few, a few, a few places. Um, it comes from understanding the energy that I have and the person that I am and the effect that it has on people, me being having positive energy. Um, and then on the vice versa, me being negative and the effect, yeah, the effect that it can have on a room. Um, so I always want to be able to give that positive energy because it's gonna, it's gonna breed life and it's gonna affect so many people in a positive way. Um, and then again, I think it's come from me growing up um, and understanding the impact it can have um, a role model and not having a role model there and seeing the effects it can have as well, you know? So I always want to be that, that positive. I don't want to, I don't want someone to have to grow up and not have a role model. You know what I mean? And go down that slippery path that you can go down. 
Because we did you, it sounds like you had to strive to actually find role models growing up. Yeah, and I think a lot of youth today do, you know, and I think in the media, we're not presented with very many positive role models, in my opinion, especially um, in, in, in the black culture, you know what I mean? Um, for me on television, I see a lot of negative portrayals of, of um, especially black males and black females as well, but um, especially black males. Who were your role models? Who, you know, who, who was able to inspire you growing up? Um, I would say I, had a, I have a really big family. Um, so although I didn't have my father around, I had a lot of uncles who were definitely my inspiration. They all played sports in some capacity, which is another reason why I was always into sports. I always had their support with that. Um, and then, unfortunately, to say, it was a lot of um, celebrities, you know what I mean? Or a lot of NBA players, like a Michael Jordan or whatever. And I'd say, unfortunately, because I don't think that that should be the case. You know what I mean? I think there should be those family role models around or at least those community role models around just to show you the right way, the, the the right way to live, the right way to be a man or the right way to be a woman. You know what I mean? Because um, we don't have very many at all in, in, in mainstream media from what I can see. When you, you set up your own basketball academy project a few years ago, um. I mean, go back to first principles. What was the thinking behind it? And I kind of guess what was the mission statement behind it? The thinking behind it was back to those things that I've been saying, just about being a role model in the community. But I think the the, the thinking behind it, um, I had I had just watched an interview, right, on YouTube. I'm big on interviews. I love YouTube. I'm always on it, right? And it was an interview with Dame Dash. Um, you can Google him. He used to be the CEO of Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z. Mm. So he kind of introduced Jay-Z to the world. Anyway, he was having an interview on The Breakfast Club. And he was going back and forth. A very famous interview in the urban culture. Um, he was going back and forth with the head DJ about ownership, right? And owning something. And the fact that he had been on this radio show for 15, 20 years, but he doesn't own it, right? And he could, him and his colleagues could all come together and have their own radio show and be making their own money and be able to have that and pass that down to their family and through generations and generations be able to pass that down. So I think that interview was a major, major um, catalyst in, in my thinking towards, um, yeah, ownership. What would you like to own? I mean, you're at the sort of start of this entrepreneurial journey, if you want to put it that way. But what would you like to own when you, you look forward, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, maybe? I would like to... <laughs> I'd like to own a few things. Um, but my main goal is to build a community, a community um, buy some land, I did have plans to go to Ghana, but they're having a few mandates right now. So I'm just trying to see how that plans out. So I did initially buy some land in Ghana. I still have it. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on over there right now. Um, I would like to build a community center out there where people can learn about this health and wealth that I'm, I'm going to be talking about. Um, 
I would have a farm there and I would live there and build a community there um, and teach people all these things that I've learned and all these experiences and have a place for them to go play basketball and go swim and have a tennis court and you know what I mean? That's what I want to build, yeah. What's the connection with Ghana specifically? Ghana, I have some family over there um, and Ghana is literally going to be the, the uh, in my opinion, is going to be the New York of, of Africa um in the next 10 years um it's, there's going to be so many people going back there 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 already is so many people that have gone back there and have already started building so it's it's, it's, it's happening um we just we just don't see it. we get a different portrayal of africa when we look at the at the news right so we're not going to see it <laughs> so you get it you want to get in the grind and literally you've gotten in the grind yeah i mean i think i've lived i've lived in this I lived in England, I've lived in the USA, I've lived in, you know what I mean, these developed countries for so long. Um, I really just want to get back to nature, really. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think living in these countries, is, it's been a hidden stress that most people are not willing to accept because, you know, like the stress of going to work, the stress of having to wake up every day, the stress of having to pay a certain amount of money to live a certain live a certain lifestyle you know what i mean or to to do all these things you know it's a stress on the body that it's not necessarily made to do you know it's not made to have these stresses because there is that sort of balance isn't there between health and wealth and you know you want both but you know to get one you have to have the other and vice versa and all that kind of stuff and it's you know i guess when you're a basketball player you're probably even more acutely aware of it because your health impacts on your wealth directly Mm -hmm. now 100 percent, and again getting older as well you have to pay more attention to that more than more than you did when you were younger as well you know what i mean so i just think health and wealth is it's always a balance you always hear the, the two terms but you always see it you can't you can't enjoy your wealth without the health and vice versa so you just got to make sure, like you said, there's a nice balance. There's a nice balance in, in all aspects of your life. You know what I mean? And then and then you can start having both, I, I believe. If not, I'll die on the progress of trying to get it, at least, you know? I love, I love the way you said they're getting old rather than getting older. You're 34. Just, yeah, patience. You can get old in due course. You're okay for now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, two I, thing, there's two things you've got, right? And I, I was looking at your LinkedIn program, sorry, profile. You didn't see me? No, I'm just kidding, man. I feel, yes. <laughs> Your LinkedIn profile was interesting because there's two things that you've, I guess these are passions as well, but you said, you know, I'm a graphic designer and I'm also a solution creator. Oh, I've got to mm. ask about the second. Where, where do you see that solution creation coming from? It's a good question. But I just think it is, I don't know, I think it's, the, it's just the way my brain calculates things you know i always see things and think how can i make that better or how can i can how can i monetize it or how can i add my stamp to it you know what i mean or how can i help everyone else do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i just think that's just the way i see things even when i'm watching movies i'm asking myself why why did that why is that put there why is that in the background why is that light flickering why you know what i mean like i'm always wondering what the the solution i guess to the um 
to whatever's been put in front of me. So I think that's where it comes from. How Just how my brain a works. Player, or perhaps, I, I'm going to guess this makes your coach's nightmare. Because it's like the way you analyze things, you know, if you're looking for solutions, how does that, when you're certainly in the middle of a game, but maybe you're prepping for a game or whatever, but you know, how, and you're working with coaches, do you find yourself in that kind of zone as well, that you're able to analyze these things or you're constantly asking yourself those kind of questions? Always, 100%. And you, you can ask Andreas as well. Like, even when we're going through things, and if there's a moment in my mind where I'm like, ah, we could improve that. Like it would just, it would just automatically happen. Like we could ice that. We could stop them from reversing the ball right there. You know what I mean? Like all those things just always just run through my mind. And if it's, if everything's going smooth in my mind, I know it's okay. But then if I see something that could be corrected that we could do better, I'll automatically just have to say it. Like, or if we're watching film and I notice this guy, every time he goes right, he makes a bounce pass like Ramon Fletcher. I'm going to say every time he goes right, he dribbles it one time, makes a bounce pass right there. Or every time he goes right, he's looking to bounce pass it to the cutter. Right? But if he goes left, he's looking to be more aggressive. You know what I mean? So just little things, keep him on the left. You know what I mean? Like those little things right there are always coming to play in my mind. It's just how my mind works. I mean, I was kind of joking there about that being a coach's nightmare. But I mean, you've played in lots of different places. Have you always mm-hmm. find that coaches are receptive towards that? No, <laughs> I'm gonna ask that. <laughs> that doesn't no. surprise me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, coach, coaches, they're. I, I always say you have to be a, 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 a mm, I'm be careful how I word it. You have to be a, a specific type of person to be a coach. You know what I mean? Like you can't. Not everyone has the makeup to be a coach. Should I say? You know what I mean? Um, they have to be a little bit crazy and some kind of some way shape or form um but yeah no you've joined the tribe i've joined the tribe yeah i have joined the tribe (laughs) as i'm explaining i have that type of craziness in my brain i guess um but yeah let's go back to the the start of your basketball career how did you get into it so my basketball career i mean as you can see i'm six foot ten at the moment so growing up um i was around 14 15 and there was an outside court around where, in my neighborhood and i used to just go up there just for fun but i was playing football heavily like growing up just like any other any other kid in the uk you know i was playing it heavily all the way up to 14 15 even when i left at 16 um after my gcse's i went to um I went to the States for high school. Um, so I started as a sophomore. Um, but that was just from playing from fun. Like I went to a, um, what did I, I went to, I think it was called the Chester Jets basketball camp. Mm. And I was just there for fun with my mates. It was like a three day camp and there were some coaches there from the States. I think they played in the BBL at the time. And they were like, oh, I'm going to send you to the States. I'm going to send you to America. I'm like, I'm sitting there, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from the UK. I'm like, I'm not going to know America. Like, <laughs> I, watch, I watch all these shows on TV. I'm not going to America or whatever, whatever. Stop gassing me up, you know? And, and next thing I know, I get a call from my mother. And she's like, yeah, they're calling. They say they want to send you to the States. I was like, are you being serious, mom? She's like, yes. I was like, all right. 
she was like, well, you're going to have to wait a year. You're going to have to complete the GCSEs. All right, so this was a year before the GCSEs. So this whole year, I'm going back to school, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to the States. Nobody believes me. Everyone's like, yeah, right, this, that, the other. I'm trying as hard as I can to be as good as I can at basketball, even though I'm still terrible. And then I ended up going to the States the next year after my GCSEs, and then that was mind-blowing to me. You know what I mean? Absolutely mind-blowing because it was such a big culture shock. First of all, like, I've got a locker. You know what I mean? Just like the movies, like, I've got a locker. I put my books in my locker. Here's my code. Here's your lock and whatever. But then when it came to the basketball, like, everyone was, it seemed like, 10 years ahead of me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm barely catching the ball and shooting a couple of shots and they're barely going in. And these guys are like throwing it off the backboard and we're milling it. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know if I'm built for this. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm fresh up, fresh from the UK. I'm still wearing my skinny Levi jeans and everyone's over there is wearing their baggy jeans, making fun of me. You know what I mean? So the first year, and I always tell everybody that that first year going out, out there or being away from home, even if it's coming over and playing pro, is always the hardest year. Always. Because you're always thinking about, oh, what my friend's doing back home, blah, blah, blah. But then when you go back home that, that summer or whenever you do, you you just realize that everyone's still doing the same stuff and they wish that they were doing what you were doing. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I basically got into it. Because there's one thing I think most people will be intrigued by is – you go to America, and okay, we understand the college system. You go for there, you know, you get your board and tuition, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What's it like a high school? Because you know, it's still you gotta get your flights over there. You gotta, you know, let's find somewhere to live. I don't know what the mm-hmm. tuition situation is like. Financially, how does that work? And this is and this is the part where I always have to big up my mother. You know what I mean? Because you have to think about it from a, a mother's standpoint. Right, she's gonna let her sixteen year old son, she's a single mother, let her sixteen year old son just go to the States. You know what I mean? So at that point she was she paid for the flight and I had an arrangement over there with a guardian. Right. So you know how on the on the letters it will say parent or guardian. Mm. I had a guardian. And he was a guy who I stayed with, so my mom would pay him rent. Um and pay whatever other fees, you know what I mean, that she would have to pay. Uh, Rent and board, pretty much. But then when it came to the schooling, I went to a Catholic school or a Christian school. So I would have to pay, or they, I would have to pay a a tuition fee. All the other kids over there were paying tuition fees. I managed to get a scholarship through this guardian who was basically shopping me around to different high schools and he ended up getting me a scholarship. to the to a high school Montrose Christian, and then from there, yeah, that he would teach me basically how to play basketball, and I was working out with him literally morning, noon, and night. So we'd wake up in the morning, six a.m. workout, um, before school, catch basically, which was like an underground. So think of like the London Underground, and take that all the way to school and go to morning practice at school then have um school all the way to three o'clock after school have study hall after study hall have practice leave that practice go lift weights go to another practice which was called aau 
and then at night go home do your homework just to cover repeat it again the next day so i was just doing all that just to catch up and just be any type of good at basketball you know what i mean so that i could eventually get a scholarship and go to a d1 school or go to whatever that was my goal that was my thinking that was my plan i mean that scholarship came not just at any old college but you go to maryland you know the therapist yeah. the acc which at the time was was the biggest best conference in basketball and mm-hmm. you step through the doors there, and you know the kind of colleges they play, you know, Duke, North Carolina. I mean, it, this is the absolute big time of college basketball. Mm-hmm. And you're a kid coming from the UK. Do you walk mm-hmm. in there and feel, yeah, I got this? Or does it still have that little bit of, I've got to prove mm-hmm. myself again here? <laughs> and, I, I, and I, I enjoy this question because it lets me reflect and be honest, right? When I got to that stage right there, so at this point, coming out of high school, I had all the big schools recruited me. I could have went to, anyway, I could have went to Virginia Tech, all them ACC schools I could have went to, right? And my guardian had convinced me to go to Maryland. So I ended up going and my mindset wasn't right i'll tell you that right now just to be honest my mindset going into it i was so used to living the lifestyle like yes like i had a what's the word i'm looking for i just expected to have everything like that's the lifestyle that that high school athletes are going through you expect everything you know what i mean and i went into it i expected to play i expected to get minutes and all those things and I wasn't getting it so my mindset was just off I was partying I was you know what I mean I was my focus was everything except playing but I was still complaining about not playing you know what I mean and that's where my immaturity lied at the point um but I think if I did have the right mindset and you know what I mean things could have worked out differently at Mount. but I enjoyed the whole experience that I've, I've been able to experience I'll tell you that right now What's it like though in that sort of road trips? Because you know, I one of my highlights in my career is I got to score a basket on the floor at Cameron Indoor at Duke. I mm-hmm. snuck on the court when I was there once to do an interview, and that was really yeah. cool. You got to yeah. you got to go and play there in front of the Cameron Crazies, yeah. and you know, and you get to go to you know North Carolina and all that kind of stuff. I yeah. mean, that, that yeah. despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily the the journey that you expected at Maryland, there must have been some cool mm. stuff. Oh. Again, that year, even though I wasn't as focused, on, it was the, it was maybe one of the best years of my life as far as enjoying it and and the actual experience. You know what I mean? Because that's all we're doing is, is experiencing things, right? That experience of that whole year of getting police escorts everywhere. You're going into into Duke, and they've got people camped out since the morning before you're going mm. into Virginia Tech. They've got people camped out from the morning, like camped out in the snow to go to these games. You know what I mean? And they get in there. They've been drinking for two nights straight. They're belligerent. You go to take the ball out, and, and the hands are right there. They're literally touching you. They'll slap you on the back of the head. They'll do all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you see Coach K there, and you're like, oh, that's like actually Coach K. You shake his hand after, you know what I mean? You're playing against Tyler Hans. You see the ESPN cameras, you know what I mean? You see, you see, you're see, watching them on TV every night and how they're bigging them up. Dick Vitale's there, 
You know what I mean? Um, I can't remember the other the other interview lady, but they're there. You know what I mean? And all these players are projecting to go to the NBA. They're they're on ESPN the, the game. I mean, the, uh, right after the game. So like all those things, like those experiences, like I said, playing against the, some of those players, that's what made me into the player that I am today. You know what I mean? You can't you can't buy those experiences. Getting coached by Cap- Gary Williams, Hall of Fame, um, college coach. You know what I mean? You can't you can't buy that. So yeah, very very grateful, very very um, pleased with my with my journey so far. I mean, you transferred to Loyola, and I suppose the, mm-hmm. the question is given how you approached that year did you ask for that transfer or were you quietly told you need to go somewhere else how does it work i asked for the transfer Hmm. um i i was told i was going to go to virginia tech so by my guardian i was going to ask for the transfer there i was going to go to junior college and go to virginia tech that was my plan um, because that's one of that's the school I wanted to go to initially. Um, I ended up going to Loyola for whatever reasons, but mainly because of the coach. Um, at the time, the coach was Jimmy Patsos. He he was an assistant at Maryland. So as soon as um, every um, everything had happened, he called me right away. He's like, I heard you're going to Virginia Tech, but you're going to go to JUCO, don't go to JUCO, is this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. Let me get you to Baltimore. Like, he did a super job recruiting, right? And in my mind, I was like, ah, cool. I'll go to this mid-major school, and I'll be the big fish in a small pond, right? That was my thinking. Ended up going there. I was. It was exactly that. And then I, I tore my ACL, um, my, my, my red shirt, yeah. For my ACL, I was uh, um, my my coach was doing a great job of getting me in draft talks. This that other um, year before Jason, I think Jason Thompson had just been drafted by from Ryder. Uh, he was trying to get those similar similar doors, and then yeah, I tore my ACL, and then from there, my whole mindset just had to change. And it was like probably not going to the NBA because of ACL. You know what I mean? <clears throat> How everything was feeling with my leg. Even on the second year when I came back, I was like, my leg's still not right, but I, I feel good. <clears throat> I was still winning awards and this, that, the other. But I knew I wasn't going to the NBA. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me have the best career that I can have here so that I can get a good job in Europe. You know what I mean? Because at that point, you still got to try and get to these places. None of these places are guaranteed. You know what I mean? So that was my thinking from there. I was like, all right, cool. I'm not probably not going to go to the NBA. Let me have a good career here so I can get a good job in Europe. And that was my thinking. There must be, at that point, and probably even now, what, 15 years onwards, there must be that what might have been if not for that one moment where that injury happens. Because it's such a brutal injury and it's so damaging. And yes, you know, surgeons can do wonders these days, but it's, it's, it's the biggie. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but I, I've learned not to have any regrets, man. Like, regrets are going to be killers. You can't regret anything. <laughs> the you start regretting, that's when all that stress and all those bad hormones and whatever is going on, in chemical reactions are happening in your body, you know what I mean? So it's just like, let all that stuff go. 
everything is happening how it's supposed to happen. That's the kind of mentality that I like to have. And then from there, you just manifest your future. You know what I mean? For me, that's that's my process. That's the way that I like to go about things. I can't I can't sit and regret anything, even on a game loss. If you lose a game, cool. But all I can control is what's about to happen next. You know what I mean? And that's where I like to lay my focus and my energy because, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. Wherever you lay your energy, that's what's going to happen, you know? So there we go. Let's give you a free pass to be completely immodest. Talk about some of these guys that you were able to, you know, go up against guard, dunk on, I don't know, um, play against. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, you, in that, that environment, you get to play yeah. against some pretty big guys. Yeah. I mean, like I said, coming in, coming in a high school, I was playing with Kevin Durant. Uh, I was playing with, um, on my AAU team was Ty Lawson. I don't remember, know if you remember guys, mm-hmm. remember him? Michael Beasley, Nolan Smith back then. And then we were playing against guys like J.R. Smith was back then. Um, I'm trying to think of the guys. We played, oh, we played against, I played against um, Anthony Davis in college. Or we played against that Kentucky team. Like, even against um, Marcus Teague. Marcus Teague was on his team. Mm-hmm. It was him, Anthony Davis, I think. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, he was on that team as well. Um, but yeah, that that Kentucky team was good. I played against uh, we played against Ohio State in the in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, so that was like Jared Sullinger. I'm trying to remember who else. Let me think. Some big time names. I mean, Kevin Durant's pretty big time. What's, what's, <laughs> I mean, you see, yeah, at that age, yeah, incredible player even then. Well, you're... Yeah. What, what what do you recall about going up against him or playing with him? Um. Well, first of all, playing with him, it was just like we were gonna win every game. You know what I mean? Like we might have lost. I'm, I might have lost two two times playing with him. You know what I mean? Um. That's in high school or AAU. So there was very few times it was it was a big shock if we if we lost. You know what I mean? That's one thing I do remember. And as far as his game, um. Uh, in high school, we had this. We had like a smaller court. It wasn't as big as as most courts. Um, and one thing I always will always always remember is he would he would bring the ball up, um, and then he would bring it up over half court. And all I remember is just hearing his uh, his dad screaming, "That's far enough! That's far enough!" And he would just pull it, and that that same shimmy. Uh, left hesitation into the pull-up he had that same hesitation and he would just pull up from like one step over half court or a half court he would just pull up and that's one thing I'll always remember from KD and as far as guarding him in practice it was like his crossover was so long that it was just impossible to guard the crossover because it was like if you reach for the crossover he would hesitate and pull up if you went for the hesitation, he would cross. You know what I mean? Like it was just impossible to guard because he was also just six foot eleven. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, KD. Yeah, I think he's the best player that I've ever seen in my whole entire life. So yeah, pretty cool. You came back to Europe, and you, know, you it's been quite a tour. I mean, I'm going to list these off. I hope I've not missed any. But you know, played in Greece, played in Italy, played in Netherlands, played in France, played in Sweden. And actually, what what struck me is quite 
unusual about you, apart from one year that you split between Greece and the Netherlands, you pretty much played complete seasons everywhere, which isn't always the case in, in Europe because you know, either someone cuts you, they run out of money, you know, you come in light, all that, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, a, you know, it's an interesting kind of career dynamic when you come into European basketball. But when you look back at those, those different countries, pick one, pick the best year and the worst year. Experience-wise, playing-wise, whatever way you want to categorize it. Ah, uh, don't make me do this. I don't like to pick best than worst. You know what I mean? Because I always think, right? I'm always grateful for the experiences, right? And I know how cliche it sounds, and this, that, the other, right? But even in the moment, right, where I'm, I'm in a place or I'm in a country, and it completely sucked at the moment. When I left, or if even if I look back at it now, I was so grateful just to, one, even be in the country, two, to be experiencing the culture, eating the foods, you know what I mean? Playing overseas, playing overseas, you know what I mean? Like, I was just so grateful for that experience that it trumps anything that I was feeling in that moment, you know what I mean? But I just, I think some of my best experiences are going to have to say... Sweden. I really enjoy Sweden. That was probably one of my favorite places. Um, I went to China for a little while, and I was playing some basketball out there in China. That was a great experience, like, just to be... You know what I mean? Who can ever say that they've ever been to China, let alone travel and, excuse me, and live and enjoy experience. Um, some of the worst... Ah, if I would have to choose, and I know this is probably going to offend a few people, but Italy, I was in Italy and I, I just didn't enjoy it, right? It was a very beautiful place, very, very beautiful place. The food is amazing. Um, I just didn't, I found it very racist. I'll say it right up, straight up. I found it pretty racist compared to all the places that I've been to, all those places that you've named, plus all the places that I've traveled just by myself without work. That was one of the most racist places that I've been to. You know what I mean? I was having situations where I'd be in a restaurant and they would be watching TV and they'll see Lukaku play on TV and they'll be like, ah, Lukaku's a monkey. <laughs> and everyone's in, everyone's in the restaurant laughing. And I'm just sitting there, like, looking around, like, does anyone not think that's racist? And clearly they don't. You know what I mean? Like, clearly it's just something that's in the culture that's been there for years and will always be there for years, which is fine because I'm in their country. That's how I look at it. You know what I'm trying to say? So I can't sit there and complain, but it was just like, there was too many instances where I just felt super uncomfortable and I was just like, ah, let me get out of here, you know? Well, let me just stay in my apartment until the season's done. Did you because find that around the... basketball as well, or was that a sort of distinct environment? Um, it was it's, it was a weird one because from the home fans, no, but from the away fans, yes. You know what I'm trying to say? That's how that's how silly it is, in my opinion. Because it was like, all right, if if the black player is playing for your team, you like him, but if you don't, you don't, you don't. You know what I mean? So it's just. It was a bit. It was a bit weird and a bit silly to me. Um, but I, I even um, I saw Zach Gachette out there for a little while as well, which was which was nice. You know what I mean. So again, you get to enjoy 
those those moments you know what i mean those experiences even in even in the midst of something that you're not enjoying you know when you came back to the uk to play for leicester and obviously you're winning mm-hmm. things i really liked that team was that a fun team you know fun teams to play on it was it was one of it was one of the best teams to play on and i always had apprehensions of playing in the bbl right when i first got to leicester i was i didn't want to i didn't even want to sign uh, my my agent had convinced me to sign and you know went into it like ah, yeah, yeah. then i started to really enjoy it like i really started to enjoy the way rob coached and how hard he coached this how dedicated he was every day you know what i mean that that made you as a player be dedicated every day and do the extra things you know what i mean and then we had like the, the personalities on the team like you, you can you could have made it happen up, you know what I mean? We'd have Pierre Hampton there. Like there was times where I had to tell Pierre, like, bro, you can't come to a cup semi-final in a pair of slippers, bro. You can't come in a pair of fluffy slippers. You know what I mean? Like I would have to tell him stuff like that. You know what I mean? But Pierre, like, that's you know what I mean. I, saw, I even saw him in Sweden. Like that's that would be my one of my best friends for for life. You know what I mean? That type of personality, that type of energy. You're not going to be able to find very, very many places. But then on the court, he was an absolute killer, absolute killer, mismatch nightmare. You know what I mean? Like you, you play him at the three, everyone in the, everyone in the league was too small. You play him at the four, everyone in the league was too small, too small, uh, too big, and, and not mobile enough. You know what I mean? He was a matchup nightmare. Like he was crazy. And then we'd have like Tyler Bernardini. You know what I mean? Names like him, like ultimate leader you know what i mean the funniest guy off the court you know what i mean we have some of the biggest laughs ever like even now i'll go visit him down in london today you know what i mean um who else did we have with drew sullivan you know what i mean like everyone has their stories about drew but for me like we really got along we really clicked because i felt like we were kind of from the same cloth like we just played hard no matter what and we just didn't deal with all the BS, you know what I mean? Um, Taylor King, Andy Thompson, like Brandon Clark, all these guys, you know what I mean? Josh Ward Hibbert was on, on, on those teams as a youngster, wasn't playing, you know what I mean? So fun, fun times. Like I can't even, there was too many names to even, I could sit here and name names all, all day, you know what I mean? We was there for, I was there for three years. So I mean, winning um, always helps when these kind of situations, but how much does it do you think it helps I me mean, with different experiences from different teams but much does it really help you 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 get on or most of you get on off the court as well as on it what i've come to find is that if you have the right makeup of guys right guys that at the end of the day when it comes onto the court we're playing right they don't care about nothing else and they and they love playing Right, that's one thing about those lesser teams. Everyone on that court loved playing the game and wanted to play hard and wanted to win. We were all winners in some way, shape, or form. Right? When it comes to off the court stuff, it doesn't matter as much. Right? There was guys on the team that I'm speaking from my own um, perspective, but there was guys on the team that didn't like each other. You know what I mean? There's guys on the team that might maybe wanted to fight each other, but at the end of the day. None of it, you know what I mean? It, it, none of it trumped 
us going on the court and, and going on a 17-game winning streak, 18-game winning streak. Like, none of that even came into somebody's mind. So I think that's the most important thing is finding them the right makeup of players that you can then, you know what I mean, throw X's and O's. That that stuff is just what it is, you know what I mean? But when it comes down to, all right, cool, we're down eight with a minute 30 left, we can still win, right? We can still win. People have got that mentality instead of, like, oh, this game's over, like, oh, this guy didn't pass me the ball and this, that, other, and they're all complaining about that. Whereas you've got 12 guys all focused on winning and then you wonder why we were winning so many close games or we would we would come back and win those late games. It's because everyone had those that mentality. All right? No, I think that's what it is. I'm being slightly unfair with this segue, but London last season, is that the example of <laughs> guys not probably quite gelling together because not everyone was focused on winning or focused on the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm gonna agree with you on that. It was very difficult for guys to lock in and realize the opportunity that we had, mm. right? And it, I'm not saying all the guys, and I'm saying I would say. 80% to 90% of the guys were locked in. But it was a few... It was... <laughs> there were a few personalities that didn't enable that to happen. I'll just say that. Do you look back on that? I mean, I want to talk about lines in a different sense in a moment. But I mean, do you look back on last season? And we've had Joshua's on the podcast as well. But do you mm-hmm. kind of look back on last season with the talent that was on that team? I think there's possibly was more talent last year, but it's a better team this year in London. But you mm-hmm. can't look at that and go, how did we only win one prize? <laughs> setting aside the COVID Cup final, but you know, uh, that, was, that was a talented group. Very, very talented group. But I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, you know, and having the right makeup of guys over talent. Oh, you can recruit as many players as you want. But if you got the right makeup, because even even let's think, let's think about this season, right? Um, Leicester, they don't have the most talented team, I would say, in the league. But they have a group of guys all geared towards one thing. You know what I mean? We have Kimball McKenzie. He wasn't necess- He was starting, I think, at the start of the season, mm. right? He's he's taking a lesser role. He's come off, even in the last game that I watched, came off the bench, came on, got his quick seven points, was happy, this, that, the other, cool. That's a good makeup of a good team right there. So when they come up against a London team now, which is full of talent, that's where you have to see who's going to win, talent or the guys that are geared to what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I mean, we're we're just 24 hours here after the official announcement. I mean, we've known about it for weeks and months, but the official line's about seven 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 triple seven, whatever you want to call it, investing in the BBL. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you were at Lions last year and when they bought Lions. What do you think? I mean, there's mixed reports about how London have developed, setting aside the bigger player budget. But as a player, what do you see that will bring when now that you know, you've had an experience, a first-hand experience of 
what the strategy is there, what what the ambition level is like? <laughs> Honestly, I think obviously it's bringing it's bringing money. Where that money's going, I don't know. Right, I never know where it's going because they're not they're not giving it to the players. Right, but I think we're gonna see we're gonna see some growth in British basketball potentially, but it's about the sustainable growth is what I'm anxious to see. You know what I mean? It's uh you gonna put the right people in place to keep the culture alive. Because you have to understand this is still the British basketball league, right? And when you look at the London Lions, even the the logo, right? Because that's basically what represents the London Lions at this point. Nothing about that logo represents London <laughs> or the Lions. Right? But that's their logo. That's what represents London right now. So when it comes to the British Basketball League, you have to think what direction do they want to go in? Which which direction have they you know what I mean, been in talks with? Because I'm hoping to keep some kind of genuinity to the to the British league, but I'm not I'm not certain that's gonna happen from what I've seen from their relationship with London. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's from having the old guard quote unquote in there and how much power that old guard seems to have now. That's from the London experience. You know what I mean? So let's just see how that plan plays out into the BBL experience. Because for, for years, obviously, the owners have had so much ownership of the league. You know what I mean? They've ran it the way that they've wanted to. And it's had this British feel that we've learned to enjoy over however many years. Now, I just think all that's going to be changed in some way. But I think the world is changing at this point. So, you know, it could be a good thing. It could be what's needed. It could, you know what I mean? Who am I to say? I don't, I just don't know. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to find out. And yeah, I agree with you on yeah. the logo. So I hope <laughs> I'm just hoping to keep some genuinity. And then I ho- I'm hoping it brings, this is what I hope it would do. I'm hoping that it would bring all British players back to the British League, right? And we keep British talent right here in Britain, right? And we are able to pay them for them to stay. That's what I'm hoping for. That's going to automatically bring the the value of the league up and and how how it's actually considered. You know what I mean? But that's that's that should be number one in my opinion. So the grassroots and stuff like that and the academy stuff that should all be feeding into this British League where we're trying to aim to keep everyone here. You know what I mean? Not send them away or have them go to different places in Europe, this, that, the other. The money should be enough for you to stay here and hone your talents here. That's the only way that the British League can grow, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because if you look at any successful team over the past five, six years, they've had some of the best British talent. You know what I mean? Even our Leicester Riders teams. You know what I mean? We had Drew Sullivan, Andy Thompson. We had me. We had Josh Wood Hibbert. We had Connor Washington. You know what I mean? Those are some really good British players. Um, and I would say some of the best in the league at, at the time. You know what I mean? So I think that's where that's where it comes from. 
Talking about being best of the league, Flyers off. Let Yoda here on this one. Flyers off to a really good start this season. Um, we yeah, are we're indeed. Heading, we're heading into Christmas break, and who knows what the schedule is going to look like coming out of Christmas. But and you guys must be feeling pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. I I'm really proud of my guys. Um, we have a really young team. Um, from just from my perception of it all, obviously I'm the oldest guy here now, but. As far as like team makeup, we have a bunch of first years guys that weren't able to play because of COVID, this, that, the other second years or whatever, right? And for them to pick up some of the things that I've been trying to tell them and pick up some of the things that coach has been implementing and how quickly we've come together is, is really inspiring to me because I said it from the beginning. I'm like, we're a really talented team and we, play really hard so that combination right there we're always going to be in games in this league now if we can pick up these little nuances and these little mistakes and these little communication issues and all these little these little things we could potentially be one of the top two teams in the league but we have to be able to pick these mistakes up quickly so that these losses don't mount up so then we don't have a chance so this is kind of what we've been implementing, and it's, it seems to be working right right now. Um, we have a few injuries uh, with Mike Miller. So when he comes back, I just think talent-wise, we match up with any team in the league, and we're a mismatch problem. You know what I mean? So nobody wants to play us, I don't think. Let's hope we, let's hope we get to play. That's that's the interesting point over the next. Uh, let's let's. I just had this whole vision in my head. Let's be honest. You just ruined it. Oh, you might not. <laughs> I'm the Christmas Grinch. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, Shane, did the, great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I know you're not a big fan of it, but have a great Christmas and have, have oh, a, a great you. year. No, I appreciate the well wishes, man. I appreciate you having me on here, and I appreciate your time and energy, man. Always. Um, yeah, man. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Thanks, Shane. That's it for this edition of the MVP Cast. If you've not subscribed, do so via your podcast provider. Tell of your friends about it as well. If you want the details, are at mvp247.com. If you want a few last-minute gifts, or perhaps you want to go Christmas shopping in the, or in the sales instead, head to MVP247 and you'll get our Christmas gift list. You can also listen to our previous editions of the podcast, including our recent ones with Lauren Milligan and Taylor Goodenby. If you want to reach out to me, get me on Twitter at MarkRickball. We're off for a few weeks to eat, drink and be incredibly merry, but we'll be back in January with a new edition of the podcast then. So for me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening in 2021 and have a great Christmas and New Year. Bye for now.